It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How's my sound here? There we go. Better now that I turned your mic on. All right. Kimberly's mic. Look at that. My producer didn't even want me to talk today. <laughs> Imagine that. Let me start again. Good afternoon, America. Welcome to uh, the Got Freedom Podcast. Your host, Chad Hummel, here on the We The People Podcast Network. And as I just mentioned, uh, thank you to my producer, Austin, um, who turned my mic on for me. Yes, I did. Hello. There How he is. You? There he is with the thumbs up. Oh, yeah. Oh, awesome. Austin, Austin's mic is on, my mic is on, and we are ready to go. So, um, yeah, again, thank you for joining me here on the God Freedom Podcast, on the We The People Podcast Network. Uh, you know, please go over to uh, our Facebook page, the We The People Podcast Network Facebook page, or on YouTube, and you can uh, click and like and subscribe, uh, however all that stuff works, and you can find our podcasts, um, including this podcast, God Freedom, Kimberly's Revolution, uh, Jose Pio's podcast, which is called Politically Correcting, and I will let uh, Austin, the producer, plug his own podcast. Go for it, Austin. Uh, that would be uh, Pop Culture Partisans, your weekly dose of PCP every Wednesday at uh, 6 o'clock. So basically, Austin's a drug dealer uh, with the weekly dose of PCP. Yes, our show is very addictive. And There you go. And... So I think I think you might have me, Austin, on some trademark infringement then because it just occurred to me that in my uh, social media posts today on Facebook and Twitter, uh, when I plugged my show today, uh, I put in there like a little tagline or a little moniker or whatever you would call that. Um, it said, uh, get your weekly dose of freedom. So what? are you going to sue me? You you took my thing, that that I came up with that. I was so proud of it, and now now it's just everyone's taking it. Yeah, but I'm giving, giving out I'm giving out freedom. You're giving out drugs, PCP. Yeah, you're peddling drugs to the the youth of America, and I'm I, peddling capitalism and freedom. Yeah, guess which sells better. <laughs> That's a good point. He yeah, got yeah. he got me there. That's why he wouldn't even turn my mic on for me today. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Just listen to P, uh, listen to pop culture partisans every Wednesday. Why, why are you even here? I tell you. That's right. <laughs> All right. So away we go. All right. Before we uh, before we really get going here into the weeds, before Chad gets into the weeds like I do every Tuesday, um, I have to give out some birthday wishes. So both my mom uh, and my stepmom have birthdays this week. My mom's birthday was on uh, Sunday, March 20th, and today, March 22nd, is my stepmom's birthday. So happy birthday to mom, 
320. Happy birthday to stepmom today, 322. And quick little, uh, excuse me, quick little um, funny take there is my mom never likes to hear this, but um, my stepmom, uh, I've known my stepmom since I was, I think, eight years old. So when I was a kid, um, it got a little confusing as to whose birthday was which, 320 versus 322. So every year I'm like, wait a second, is it my mom's birthday on 320? Is it my stepmom's birthday on 320? Which one's on 322? Well, this is how I figured it out. And it still remains to this day, is that my stepmom, uh, her address is 320, 320, and her birthday is 322. And ready for this? My mom's address is 322, and her birthday's 320. So I just have to flip them, right? So if I'm wondering if my mom's birthday is 320, I know it is because it's the opposite of 322, which is where my, which is where she lives. Well, you you get the point, right? Yeah, I, I See, do. I, I, I'm but still confusing myself. Hold, I my question is why can you remember their addresses with no problem? <laughs> But not, it's the same numbers. I don't know. <laughs> when you're eight years old, and, and you know you're you're you're, it's beaten into your head where you live, right? Sure, right. It's you know if if Officer Friendly if you know asks you what's your address, you have to know your address. So so I don't know. I just I just knew three twenty um, was where my stepmom lived, so that was my mom's birthday, and I knew that three twenty two was where my mom lived, so that was my stepmom's birthday. So. Stop asking me such tough questions, Austin. <laughs> Man, you're peddling PCP. You're asking me tough questions. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about all this. All right, so we got the birthday wishes um, in there for mom and stepmom. Happy birthday. Uh, I won't tell you how old they are, but I'm almost 48, so you can play with those numbers a little bit. All right, so I want to update uh, everybody. Thank you for joining me. I want to update everybody on the status of several lawsuits um, that I've been involved in. Many of you uh, who are uh, weekly followers and listeners, uh, both here on the Got Freedom podcast, on the Kimberly's Revolution podcast that I co-host on Wednesdays. Uh, many of you follow me on, on Facebook and Twitter, so you've seen a lot of what's going on. And, um, and you know, let me know if you have any questions. Again, I'm, I'm terrible with the comments, but I'll, I'll try to check out the comments if you have questions about uh, what's going on with these lawsuits. But I want to start off with the uh, the update on Kevin Quinn. Um, I had posted updates uh, on Sunday, uh, all day Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, regarding the status of his matter. He had a hearing. Uh, Kevin's a teacher in Penfield. He had a hearing uh, on Monday, scheduled to start on Monday, pertaining to uh, his possible firing over refusing to take the weekly uh, so-called mandatory COVID tests. And I don't want to get into the specifics of the lawsuit. Um, I think many of you know them anyway. Uh, but what I want to tell you is uh, kind of bizarre. And if you were following the updates on Facebook, you already know this, but a little bit of the backstory. So on Sunday, I think it was, I had posted on uh, Facebook that uh, Kevin Quinn was going to be having this hearing Monday morning, that it was being held downtown at a uh, hotel conference room location. This is a an administrative law judge type of hearing. It's not uh, an actual courtroom proceeding, although it has the same effect. It's on the record. There is a court reporter. The, the lawyers are there um, and, and the whole nine yards. But um, 
So I post that he's going to have this hearing. In fact, I should have had Austin pull that up, but I, I didn't send that to him, my, my Facebook thread. But I posted on my Facebook feed that uh, that Kevin was going to have this hearing on Monday morning. Um, I knew a lot of people were uh, in support of Kevin vocally over the past several months, and I wanted to you know give people the opportunity to express their support either on social media or to show up uh, physically uh, and and provide some support. And uh, and people ended up coming. There was uh, probably fifteen or twenty people showed up, which was which was really awesome. Um, yeah, so Austin just pulled up the, the most recent update. Um, so if you have my Facebook thread there, Austin, if you back up to Sunday, perhaps there's the, the man, the man, woman that's swimming. Nope. Go back the other way. It's there somewhere. Yeah. Right there. The lawyer for Penfield has complained to the judge that there might be support for Kevin tomorrow. She screenshot our Facebook comments. It would be a shame if 500 of you showed up in support. So what happened there was this. About an hour before that, and keep in mind, this was, so now this is all coming back to me now, the specifics. This was Sunday evening. I think my first Facebook post prior to that was it was after five. It, it might have been closer to seven. I don't recall specifically, but it was in the evening hours that I first posted about Kevin's hearing on Monday morning. And within an hour, my co-counsel on the case, attorney Dan Strollo, sends me a text, says, check your email. I'm like, uh-oh, what's going on? So I go into my email and lo and behold, the attorney for the Penfield Central School District. And you've heard this name before, right? Ferrara Fiorenza. It's the law firm that's come after me uh, on behalf of the East Ronacoit School District. It's the law firm that, that has been involved in, in many of the litigations against parents uh, across Monroe County over the past couple of years. But the attorney on this particular case from that law firm had sent an email to the judge at around 7 o'clock on Sunday night with a screenshot of my post asking for support for Kevin and a screenshot of all of the ensuing comments. So it ended up being around seven or eight separate screenshots that she sent. I mean, where do I even begin to unpack that, right? First and foremost, right, what is what is she doing Sunday night? Is she... Is she resting up for the big trial on Monday morning? Is she going over her last second notes in preparation for the trial for Monday morning? Is she, I don't know, sitting in front of the TV getting ready to watch American Idol? No, she's following my Facebook thread. And then screenshotting my Facebook thread and sending it to the judge. Now, if you're asking yourself right now, well, how improper is that? You're right. I mean, I think it's so improper that I don't even know what section of law or rules that she violated, but you know she violated something there, right? Um, and, and even if she didn't, it's just preposterous, right? Preposterous to think that on Sunday night, uh, because I uh, sought public support for for my client, which I know, you know, Dozens, if not hundreds of you out there uh, have his back on this, uh, especially evidenced by the showing up uh, on Monday morning of around 20 people. 
Um, it's just preposterous to think that that's what she thought was appropriate, was to screenshot my entire Facebook thread on this and send it to the judge, try to influence the judge, right? Basically told the judge that uh, Mr. Hummel, even though it's his client's right, Okay, well, let's just stop right there. That's where the email should have ended. It's his client's right to have public support at this public hearing. And so she acknowledges that. Even though it's Mr. Hummel's client's right uh, to have this public hearing with the public president present, I want you to be aware, and here's all the screenshots, I want you to be aware that in the event that there's a disruption, so she's signaling to the judge that your support, right, all of you out there who can't do um, as much as you want to do, and I know that, right? I've talked to many of you. I've met many of you. Many of you have come and supported me personally. Um, you've, you've come and supported all of your fellow patriots, the nurses, the teachers, um, each other, right? And, and I know what it feels like to do as much as you can do, knowing that you wish you could do a lot more. So, so just so you know, for all of you out there, for the dozens, the hundreds, perhaps thousands of you out there, uh, I've told you about the letters that I've received from people out of state over Dave Callis's situation, the Webster board meeting. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, the gentleman that was yanked out of the Webster board meeting. So there's there's thousands of you across the land that are that, that are that are looking to support people like Kevin Quinn. And just so you know, there is so much contempt for that support. There is so much contempt for somebody like Kevin Quinn who stood up and did what thousands of others um, you know, want to have the courage to do, want to have the financial resources to do but couldn't do. Say no to the mandatory testing. Say no to the mandatory vaccines. There's thousands of you that couldn't do what you wanted to do, and you just want to support the people that are taking a stand. But there's so much contempt for you that on a Sunday night at around 7.30, an attorney at a big law firm in central New York has nothing better to do but screenshot all of your Facebook comments and send them to the judge and declare that that might create a disruption. A disruption of what? A disruption of his illegal firing? What is it that you people are going to disrupt by showing your support at a public hearing, by taking notes at a public hearing? Transparency is what it's called right? That's what our judicial system, our legal system, our, ju our justice system, that's what it sits on. That's its bedrock. That's its foundation. If there's no public courtroom, if there's no public transparency, if there's no public support, there's no American jurisprudence. There's no American legal system. There is no bedrock. There is no foundation. It's quicksand at that point, which quite, quite frankly, that's where we're at. That's where we're at because if a licensed attorney in New York State thinks it's okay to do that, right, to send this email to the judge on the eve of the trial, then I don't know what bedrock that attorney's practicing law on. Um, so, so there's that, folks. Um, you know, I, I've told you many times throughout the course of all of these uh, trials and tribulations that we've gone through together for the past couple years that, um, you know, that it's way deeper than what's on the surface. You know, there's a lot of talking points and a lot of rhetoric on the surface, and we're all guilty of parroting talking points and throwing the rhetoric out there. But I've also tried my best to explain to you 
and expose for you uh, the deeper nature of what's going on. And this right here, as small as it seems and is, and is um, I don't know, as technical as it might seem, I'm not sure if those are the right words, but what occurred here on Sunday night to me is it's a huge insight to the deeper problem that's going on in America, uh, especially here in New York State. And, and it's just a, it just shines a big spotlight on an example of, you know, why we're where we're at, right? Because, you know, you have people like Andrew Cuomo and Kathy Hochul. Uh, you have people like that who actually think that they have the power and the authority to run your life for you and that they know better and that they should run your life for you and that you should say, yes, sir. Uh, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Can I have another? Uh, and that, you know, so in, in this, this is an example of that. This is a, this is an example of, uh, that proves some of the rhetoric that we put out there, right? Okay. So let's move on from that, uh, scenario. I mentioned the, uh, the Dave Callis, uh, situation. Um, I won't spend too much time, you know, backing up into what the details are, you probably know by now what that situation is all about. Dave Callis, uh, Webster parent, who I don't know, maybe about a month or so ago, was uh, forcefully, uh, physically, unlawfully dragged out of a Webster Board of Education meeting, and uh, you know it was it made national news. It, it was on Hannity, the Sean Hannity show. It was on Newsmax. Um, it didn't make much local news. Uh, I'll go out, I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but many of these stories that that I'm talking about today that I've talked about in the past, including my own story of my arrest and my ultimate acquittal, um, these stories do not get um, much, if any, local news coverage. And yet they get, not only do they get national coverage, but they get national coverage at the highest levels, right? I don't, I don't know if there's a higher level of national coverage than the Sean Hannity show, for example, um, that that situation in Webster um, received. But here's the here's the update. So tomorrow at 11 a.m. in Webster Town Court, uh, Kenneth Mancini, who is the defendant. Uh, he's the individual who you saw on that video. Do we have any still shots of that situation? Okay, so we have yeah, we, we have the video. You, you've all seen this before. So that's Ken Mancini, right? There's Ken Mancini in the black shirt. He's grabbing Dave Callis's chair. Grabs him by the collar. Rips his coat off. He's yelling at him. He's ordering him unlawfully to leave. Well, actually, I don't think he's telling him to leave. He's, he's, what he's doing is he's telling the uh, the other security guards, hey, come get him. The chair's on wheels. Let's, let's yank him out of here. All right, so the point is, that's Ken Mancini. So there's Ken Mancini being a tough guy um, at the Webster Central School District board meeting. Tomorrow, Ken Mancini... Um, he's not going to be pulling anyone out of a chair. He'll be sitting at a chair uh, waiting for the judge to call his name. And then he'll be arraigned uh, by the judge. I believe it's in front of uh, town justice Thomas DeSalvo, 
uh, I think there's two town judge uh, justices is what they're called in town court, not judges. They're called town justices. Um, not that I'm here to give you any sort of uh, legal lesson today on on the criminal court system in New York State, but town justices, uh, there's there are two, I believe, in Webster, Tom DeSalvo and, um, oh gosh, now the other uh, the other justice's uh, name escapes my mind at this time. But anyway, I believe um, Ken Mancini's going in front of uh, Justice Tom DeSalvo uh, tomorrow. David Corator, that's the other judge. It just came to me. But anyway, uh, Tom DeSalvo tomorrow, 11 a.m., Ken Mancini will be arraigned in front of the judge on uh, harassment charges. Harassment in the second degree. Uh, Jim McGrath says, hi, Chad, I think you're sexy. Um, Austin, if you could do me a favor, and um, after the show, could you get uh, Jim McGrath's phone number for me? Because uh, I'd like to <laughs> get a hold of him and see if maybe he wants to take me out on a date or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm on. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So uh, uh, Jim McGrath, if you're, if you're still watching, if you're still listening, uh, my producer, Austin, will uh, we'll get your phone number off air, and um, we'll see if, see if we can get together. All right, so, so back to... Uh, uh, back to Webster. Uh, Jim McGrath's now going to sue me. That's great. Back to Webster. Ken Mancini will be arraigned tomorrow at 11 o'clock in Webster Town Court. Um, and Webster Town Court is, um, as we talked about a few minutes ago, it's a court in the United States of America, um, which makes that a public um, location, right? That's a public event, a court proceeding especially an arraignment calendar in local town court is a public venue. So if the public, um, and if you haven't gotten the hint yet, that's you, right? If the public wants to go tomorrow at 11 o'clock, if you, if you don't want to come to the adjourned, oh, I never finished the, the Kevin Quinn update. Gosh, I'm so bad. I'm jumping around here. Back to Kevin Quinn real quick in Penfield. So the, the final update there is the hearing got postponed, technical difficulties. The hearing officer was uh, remote and it just wasn't going to work. So the attorneys for both sides requested that we postpone the hearing until Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning at 930. And the hearing officer, who I believe resides in central New York, is now going to drive here uh, and physically conduct the hearing, which is how it should be. So that's going to be tomorrow at 930. So those of you that were there on Monday, I think you already know where things stand. For anyone else that wanted to come and couldn't make it on Wednesday, and you can make it tomorrow, that would be awesome. Seating capacity is limited to approximately 20 to 25 people. Um, so that's tomorrow at 930 at the Hilton Garden Inn on Main Street in downtown Rochester, 155 uh, East Main Street, the Hilton Garden Inn. It's a hotel downtown. There's a parking garage underneath, um, and it's in a nice conference room with some seating. So if you can make it, that's great. All right. So again, back to uh, Webster Town Court tomorrow at 11. All right. So 930 will be Kevin Quinn's hearing. Uh, the teacher who's uh, the Town of Penfield, uh, the Penfield Central School District is trying to fire him for not taking a stupid COVID test. And uh, Ken Mancini, who harassed um, and civilly assaulted my client, uh, Dave Callis, at a Webster board meeting, he gets arraigned tomorrow at 11 in Webster Town Court. And you can show up for that too. Uh, so if you're more interested in going to that or from a time standpoint, if, uh, if that's better situated for your schedule to go to Webster town court at 11, you can do that and you can watch Ken Mancini, 
uh, be arraigned. And uh, and I'll leave it at that. We, we did have a discussion with the uh, assistant, uh, the Monroe County Assistant District Attorney today. When I say we, I mean myself and uh, my client. I, I won't elaborate, get into the details of that discussion, but there was a good discussion uh, today between my client, myself, and the, the Monroe County uh, DA's office. So we'll see what happens tomorrow, and we'll provide you updates from there. But you can go to Webster Town Court tomorrow at 11 if you want to see Ken Mancini, the uh, security guard who's charged with harassment in the second degree, which carries up to 15 days in jail. If you want to see his arraignment tomorrow at 11, Webster Town Court. Okay. So we've covered those two things. Austin, what are the comments looking like? Anyone have any questions? Somebody says, I love you. I'm going to have all sorts of data. Oh, it's just Jim again. <laughs> all right, never mind. Don't call that guy. Okay, I'll, I'll take it off my to-do list. Yeah, take it off your to-do list. So no questions? What the heck's going on here? See, every well, other week, you have a thousand questions, and I miss them. See, you're explaining things, you know, too well. You're just you're getting all up in those weeds. Oh, there, see, exactly. And I'm in the weeds. There's no room for questions when you explain everything in <laughs> very great, fine detail. Either that, or everyone turned up, turned off the camera, and they moved on to better things. That That's that doesn't more, sound right. No, okay. I thought you were going to say that sounds more like it. I'm glad <laughs> glad you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the other update that I want to give um, is this. So everyone knows about the insurrection um, that occurred in January of 2021, right? The so-called January 6th uh, insurrection that yours truly um, attended. So I see, of course, I don't think that was an insurrection. I think what happened uh, the following January, which was this past January, more particularly what happened on January 25th, I think what happened on January 25th of 2022 um, was an insurrection. It was a parent and child uh, mask insurrection. And you recall what I'm talking about, of course, and that is on January 24th is when the, um, the Nassau County Court ruled that the masking of the children as a mandate by the New York State Department of Health was declared illegal. And on, the, on January 25th, so that ruling was handed down late on January 24th. I believe that was a Monday. And then the word got out, of course, real quickly on social media Monday night. And then by Tuesday morning, um, hundreds of parents across Monroe County, thousands, I suppose, across New York State, and New York State had uh, mobilized and decided to, of course, follow that new court ruling and um, walk their children to the door at school the next day without a mask on. And that created quite uh, the problem for the school districts because the school districts had been unlawfully uh, and illegally advised by their um, by the New York State Department of Education, I suppose, and the individual school buildings had been unlawfully and illegally, in my opinion, advised by their superintendents and their boards of education that they did not have to follow this Nassau County Court ruling and that they could still require the kids to wear masks, which, in my opinion, is absolutely it, it was absolutely unlawful, illegal and unadvisable on January 25th. But nonetheless, they did it. And I think perhaps I've said this before on the show, I, I think what. The parents did that day, that morning, 
Um, and I'm referring specifically to the parents here in Monroe County uh, for a couple reasons. One, because that's where I live and that's where my kids go to school. Number two, because I know many of the parents who uh, took a stand that morning uh, because I either I already knew them or they've since contacted me and, and have become my clients. Um, and, and there's other reasons, but suffice it to say, what what those parents did um, on January 25th, the morning of uh, January 25th, I don't think um, can be overstated, uh, and it certainly shouldn't be overlooked as a means to the final end of the masks, of getting rid of the masks. So I know it was several weeks later uh, when Kathy Hochul you know, claimed that she was releasing us from the mask mandate, even though that's not really what happened. Really what happened was she failed to perfect the appeal and, and you know, of course there she is. Uh, she failed, her office, uh, her lawyers failed to purposely, of course, failed to perfect the appeal because they knew they would lose it. So they more or less let the mask mandate expire. Um, and so effectively it was the lawsuit that carried the day. But my point here is, and I've said this right from the start. I've been on the record many, 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 many times saying that lawsuits are one thing, but parents' action is far more uh, important, and it's and it carries far more weight. Right? The consumer, as I've always said, um, always has the final say. So, and compliance is de facto law. So when we've complied with these illegal mandates, we've effectively, you know, created the law for the government that didn't otherwise exist. So what the parents did that day, in my opinion, effectively ended the mask mandate. It took several more weeks, but I think what happened was the parents took a stand. The school districts, the building principals were put in a position that they never wanted to be in right? They, they cried for two years that their hands were tied, even though they weren't. They just didn't have the courage to speak up for themselves. But then on January 25th, when the parents showed up at the door, literally, and the kids showed up at the door, literally, and said, we're coming in without masks on, that put those buildings in a position where they were forced to face the music now that they never had to face, right? They had heard the chirping. They saw the chirping on social media, right? They, they read the newspaper clippings. They heard about lawsuits, but it never came to their front doorstep, right? It's one thing when the disruptions over there at the neighbor's house, four, five, six, seven doors down, and, and you can talk about it and you can commiserate about it. But when it actually comes to your doorstep and you're forced to deal with it and the pressure's on you, and then, and then you have to go home and reflect and, and be embarrassed for yourself and your conduct. When you go home that night and you say, man, I just told a seven-year-old and his mom that he's going to have to go sit in a COVID isolation room or be quarantined all day because he refuses to wear a mask. Now the, now the chickens start to come home to roost at that point. So what happened from there, in my opinion, is this. Those, those principles finally did what parents like you and I had begged them, I guess, for the lack of a better word, we begged them to do for months. And that was, instead of looking at us and telling us you agree with us, but your hands are tied, turn around and fight with us, right? Put your back against the wall like our backs against the wall and fight with us. Go to bat for what you claim that you believe in like we are. And I think that's what finally happened. I think many of these principles 
whether they wanted to or not. I mean, don't make any mistake here. I'm not trying to give them any credit. I think they were forced to finally uh, take a stand with us. I think they went to their superintendents. They finally started clamoring amongst themselves. We can't deal with this anymore. We're done, right? We'll, we'll follow the rules as long as everybody's going along with it, right? As long as people are compliant, we'll, we'll, we'll follow the rules. We'll enforce the rules because it's easy to enforce a rule when everyone's complying, right? Think about that. These building principles are not the types of people that go around heavy-handedly enforcing rules. They only did it, so to speak, because you complied. It was easy. You, you made it easy for them. But on the morning of January 25th, parents made it hard, finally. At, a, at, a, at enough of a direct hit level, parents made it hard. And those principals had to turn around and go to their superiors and say, we can't do this anymore. And then in turn, the superintendents finally turned around and said to the state education department, we can't go along with this anymore. Something needs to change. And then the Department of Education went to the governor and said, you know you don't have the authority to do this in the first place. We've all talked about it behind closed doors, right? So, so you know, we carried it. We carried the ball forward as long as we could. But it's time to put the ball down. It's time to put the mask ball down, right? So they did. And the update there is this. The legal update there is this. Um, there are several parents that have uh, not put in the ball, you know, they haven't put the ball down. So, so in other words, they ran with the ball the other way. They ran with the ball towards freedom, the end zone that had freedom in the center of it. And they brought their kids to school on the 25th and said, we're not doing this anymore. And that's not enough. So now they're filing lawsuits. Um, we've filed many notices of claim across Monroe County and those things are starting to materialize. I'm starting to get letters back from the various law firms. You, you've heard the names before again, Ferrara Fiorenza is one of them in Syracuse, Harris Beach here in Monroe County is another one. And I'm starting to get the letters back from these law firms, acknowledging the existence of our notices of claim and requesting the, what's called a 50 H examination, which is basically a it's a deposition, and the, the attorneys for the school district uh, get to ask questions of the clients, of my clients under oath about the nature of their claims. So, so these things are moving forward, and I, and I want you all to know that because I know that many of you out there are interested in bringing claims like this, and um, so they are being brought, and if you are one of those parents um, that, you know, that, that did what what I'm describing here uh, on the 25th, and you think you might have some sort of claim, uh, feel free to reach out to me and we can talk about it. So those things are, are making their way through the system. Let me just kind of take a look at the time here. It's a little bit after five. So um, Austin, do we have any anyone with any questions that you can see? Doesn't look like it. No, not, not not any questions. A lot of a lot of agreements. Of course, <laughs> and that's all we'll accept here on the uh, Got Freedom uh, podcast, right? If you you have to agree, right? That's the essence of freedom. Is yes, you have, you have to go along with the <laughs> with the show host. Of course, I'm kidding, right? <laughs> all right. Wait, so that's what you told me when I uh, when I started here. <laughs> See, I, I'm allowed to talk only if I agree. That's right. Yeah, exactly. 
and we have to and we have to prep beforehand, right? I have to give you all your talking points beforehand. Yes, yes. You you feed me my opinion when I walk in. <laughs> all right. That's that just folks, I know all kidding aside, that couldn't be further from the truth. Austin uh Austin and I have many, many uh, minutes of vigorous debate both before and after the show uh, on many topics. And uh, and yes, we like absolutely. to do that because in my opinion, and I I can't speak for Austin, although I'm going to, um, you know, I think we both agree that vigorous debate on uh, on two issues, especially when two issues are so polarized, vigorous debate, if it's an honest intellectual discussion, will bring the parties to some sort of common ground. And it might not be uh, common ground that's earth shattering, but anytime you get common ground, then you know you take that next step towards further common ground. So, so we we both have that in common. We love to have those discussions, and that's not to say that we don't agree on a lot of stuff. Um, but you know, it's always good to play devil's advocate. Um, I on, love playing devil's advocate <laughs> <laughs> on, on on issues, and, yeah. and again, that also helps you get to uh, the truth sometimes as well. So, I have a couple more. Um, topics that are aren't necessarily related to uh, to local issues and I'm probably not going to get to all three of them I have three other topics that I wanted to cover um, so I'm just going to quickly kind of take stock of what they are and see which ones I want to try to get through here um you know I I do oh you know what Austin never mind I'm not gonna be able to get into this topic because I forgot to send you this um the information that I went that I wanted to put up. So I guess I'll tease it for another show real quick. Um, for those of you that hopefully have maybe heard all my podcasts, I don't know, but I, I probably have talked about this issue more than once. And I've talked about it on the Kimberly's Revolution podcast as well. So I'll just quickly touch on it. The Second Amendment. I've I've taken the position many times, and this is something that I've thought about over the years, very, very thoroughly, because uh, it's it's something that's always kind of pulled at me, and that is is that the talking point for the Second Amendment, of course, is you know the government's going to come take your guns away, and you know, and and the people on the other side are are always arguing, well, you know, you don't need guns to to hunt for deer and all that, you know, garbage, and and we get muddled down in the weeds. Of of having this ridiculous discussion about how many rounds does you know do you need to to take on an intruder or you know do do we really need um, AR-15s to hunt deer and and all these stupid side discussions when in reality of course the Second Amendment is there for personal primarily for personal self defense and along those lines one of the things that I've pointed out many times is this that is is that the liberal left. Um, the Democrats, right? That it, that's just the truth. The reality of it is the Democrats, and this is where this is where the point needs to 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 begin to focus, and that is the establishment as a whole, which includes the Republicans, have foisted upon society all of these gun regulations that we've now accepted as um, we, we take for granted that we're bound by them. And the ones that I'm referring to specifically are their permit laws, right? You have to have a permit to, uh, to, to own a handgun. 
And that's pretty uh, pretty universal, but primarily here in New York, California, Illinois, right? Those are the those are the big hitter states that that like to enforce these these ridiculous gun rules. Um, the District of Columbia, of course. And the argument that I've made many many times is this: is those gun laws they most disparately affect the inner city minorities, right? So while suburban white folks get kind of stereotyped as the ones that um, are affected by gun permit laws because, let's face it, they're, they're the ones that seem to be most vocal about it. Um, so therefore, people assume that they're the ones most affected by it. You know, when the, when the left hand is doing something, you know, be on the lookout for what the right hand's doing. So the, you know, these Democrats that, that like to propose um, all of these gun laws and, you know, they like to do it in the name of safety and they like to prop up the murder rates in the inner cities as a reason why we need more gun laws. Um, and, and like I always say, whatever they're, whatever they're telling you, they're doing the opposite. They're knowingly, in my opinion, it's not inadvertent. They are knowingly affecting the party, the people, I should say, that they claim to be helping, the, 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 the people that they ask for the support of, and that is uh, the inner city minorities. Um, because the guy in the suburbs who has a job and a professional license and a home and a mortgage and a family to raise has a lot to lose over owning a handgun illegally. So that person will take a day off of work to go stand in line for a couple hours at the Monroe County Clerk's Office and get fingerprinted, get his photo taken, and then patiently wait the 9 to 12 months that it takes to get that pistol permit. While at the same time going on social media and arguing that that's illegal, that that's unconstitutional, that, that it defies the plain language of the Second Amendment. And that person's right. It does do all that stuff. It does defy the plain language of the Second Amendment. But nonetheless, um, it's been beaten into our brains that uh, simple gun permit laws are a minor intrusion um, and somehow the benefit of it outweighs the burden of it. And I don't know what the benefit of it is. I really don't. I don't know what the benefit of wait, making somebody who has no criminal record whatsoever wait nine months at a minimum um, to get a gun permit to defend himself and his family against an intruder at his home or to defend himself from a carjacker on the street. Because while you're waiting nine months uh, for that permit to buy the firearm, uh, because you know you really can't carry a long gun in the back seat of your car, um, you get carjacked, right? You get carjacked in the meantime, and you and you never had the opportunity to defend yourself. So, but that person isn't going to generally get charged with uh, felony possession or criminal possession of a weapon uh, in the second or third degree, which is a felony. That person's not going to get charged with that because, like I just articulated, they are going to take the time and the energy and so on and so forth to get their permit. They're going to be a lawful gun owner at some point. It's the 15-year-old or the 18-year-old um, that lives on Joseph Avenue that lives in a war zone right now in the city of Rochester. And that's not rhetoric, right? I mean, what's the definition of a war zone? The definition of a war zone, I guess, is a place where... Um, and uh, a lot of people are running around with weapons and they're shooting and killing each other. 
right? I mean, I don't know that that I probably didn't do that so articulately. I'm 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 sure that Webster's definition is is a little bit more articulate than mine, but. Think about what a war zone is and then go walk down Joseph Avenue um, at 9 o'clock tonight. Go walk down North Clinton Avenue. Go walk down Avenue D. Go walk down Lyle Avenue, Otis Street. Uh, what's the textbook definition of a war zone? A region in which a war is being fought. Wow. So maybe my definition was You know, can I say, though... I hate any definition that uses like one of the words well, exactly. in the definition. Right? It's circular, isn't it? It's yeah. circular like, logic. Like, oh, a war zone is where there is a war? Yeah. No way. Austin, what's an apple? It's an uh, apple. It's it's the fruit <laughs> of the apple tree. <laughs> well, that yeah. probably is a good definition. No, but anyway. <laughs> so so Rochester's a war zone, no doubt. Um, what's a what's an eighteen year old who's otherwise and here's the key. Otherwise, because they do exist, believe it or not, put your stereotypes away for a minute. There are 18-year-old black males in the city of Rochester that are law-abiding citizens, right? And I don't, and I don't, I can't overstate this. There's lots of them, the vast majority of them, right? All of them, for all intents and purposes, are law-abiding citizens, going to school, hoping to get a job, maybe doing shitty in school, maybe not working, but otherwise law-abiding citizens, right? Not robbing people like you might think, um, not committing petit larcenies at Walmart like you might think, not speeding up and down the road illegally on scooters as you may think, and they are coming under fire, literally, violence from firearms that others are using illegally, so to speak. Why doesn't that 18-year-old have the right to arm him or herself and defend him or herself, right? Think about it. Break it right down in its most simplistic terms. You're walking down the street. You're an 18-year-old blackmail on North Clinton Avenue this evening. You're walking down the street to go to the corner store because you want to buy a bunch of junk food, which you have the right to do. And all of a sudden, the 1992 Honda rolls up and the four doors open up and the AR-15 barrels are facing you down because you've been mistaken for somebody that stole drugs from the kingpin on Herald Street. What are you going to do? Hold on a second, guys. I need to go apply for a pistol permit. Can you wait while I go downtown and get fingerprinted? Can you wait nine months before you unload on me? And I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, you know, what's a handgun going to do with four AR? Whatever. You get the point. The kid has the right to defend himself. He has the right to own a firearm the same way that you do. And I'm tired of the lowest common denominator arguments of, well, he can get a permit just like I can get a permit. No, you're wrong. That's not the answer. The answer is neither one of us need a permit. You don't need a permit and neither does he because the Second Amendment doesn't require either one of us to have a permit. It just doesn't. Can I play devil's advocate? You can. Go for it. Please do. The exact phrasing of the Second Amendment is, and I want to pull it up on the screen here, uh, 
a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's right. Now, the right I'm going to ask you what your definition is of a well-regulated militia. What is well-regulated? A well-regulated militia would be a, a group of individuals who are bearing some sort of uh, government insignia operating under the auspices of government authority who um, have arms, keep arms, train with arms, parade around with arms, and um, show a display of force to uh, one or more components out there to keep the peace, I suppose. Okay. See, I just, my, my interpretation is that there is a provision in that phrasing that you could regulate the uh, distribution of arms. I certainly understand your position on that. The only thing I'll say, I'll take the easy way out of this, Austin. Yeah. And the easy way out of this is that that exact issue uh, has been litigated multiple times um, at the highest courts of the land. And I'm going to, I guess, I'll show a little bit of my ignorance perhaps, but I believe the most recent um, dispositive ruling was the Heller case. Um if not, that's at least the most known case that still that still stands. That the Heller case, um, you know, is is one of the Supreme Court rulings that that defined what you're articulating there, and that is whether or not it's the whole comma argument, right? Whether or not that well well regulated militia, uh, whether or not that qualifies the rest of the the phraseology in the Second Amendment as far as the individual's right to keep and bear arms. And essentially what the Supreme Court has ruled is those are two uh, disconnected portions of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment provided for a well-regulated militia, and then the Second Amendment also provided for the right of the people, uh, the individual, to keep and bear arms. And the general context uh, of that, of course, is to look back at you know, what was going on in America at the time the Second Amendment came into existence, um, what lawyers like to refer to as the legislative history of a statute. So if if a statute is a little bit vague on, on its face, which you could argue that the Second Amendment in this regard is a bit vague, then you have to look to, legally, you look to what is the history behind it. And that's what lawyers do, and that's what judges do when they, when they make these uh, complex and complicated decisions. And the Supreme Court has routinely looked, you know, at the history and, you know, there's, there's a lot to it, but in essence, uh, the fact that the colonists were looking to break away from the king and, um, and the king was, you know, wielding a heavy sword uh, against the colonists and the colonists wanted the right to keep and bear arms and to defend themselves. And the Bill of Rights provided individual liberties um, to the states and the individuals that resided in those states. And the Second Amendment is one of those um, bills of right. And they are affirmative rights. Uh, they're not grants from the government they, that can be taken away or modified or regulated. They are affirmative rights that the founders said that we were born with, right, are inalienable rights. So we, it's a right that we have. And if something is a right, then it can't be regulated, so to speak, um, because otherwise then it's not a right. It, it's one or the other. It's either a right or it's not a right. 
Um, so if, if we establish foundationally that it's a right, like the right to free speech, if we establish foundationally that it's a right, then it cannot be taken away or regulated um, unreasonably. If, it's, if we establish that it's not a right, that it's nothing but a grant or a privilege from the government, well, then, yeah, then you have no argument. But then we also have no Bill of Rights. We have no Constitution. We have no um, democratic um, republic. We, we don't have all the things that we thought we had if we're analyzing these things from the standpoint of these are grants from the government. These are privileges that the government is giving us. You have a privilege to drive. You have a right to carry a gun. And the 18-year-old on North Clinton tonight who wants to go buy junk food, in my opinion, um, not only does he have a right to defend himself, um, he's the one, literally, he's the one that the Second Amendment was crafted for, right? The Second Amendment wasn't crafted for hunters. The Second Amendment wasn't crafted for clay shooters. The Second Amendment wasn't crafted um, for the guy who, you know, likes to clean guns um, and show them off. Um, and trade them and go to gun shows. The Second Amendment is for the guy, for the kid, who's walking down Joseph Avenue tonight um, to buy a pack of gum. And there's violent thugs and criminals that are surrounding him in a war zone, and he needs to be able to defend himself. And it's you Democrats, and I'll also place the blame squarely on the elite um, establishment Republicans, the rhinos, um, and so on and so forth. You know who you are. I put the blame right on your back. You're the one taking away that kid's right to defend himself. The blood is on your hands when he can't defend himself because guns don't shoot themselves, right? If guns shot themselves, then every year during deer season, there'd be thousands of dead white guys on hunting land all across rural New York. But that doesn't happen now, does it? Every once in a while, unfortunately, there's an accidental shooting that no gun law, no permit laws would have ever prevented. Accidents are accidents for a reason, because they're accidents, right? Murders are murders for a reason, because they're intentional. And you can intentionally pick up a gun. You can intentionally pick up a hammer. You can intentionally pick up a bow and arrow. You can intentionally get behind the wheel of a car and murder somebody. You can also intentionally pick up a gun, walk to the corner store to get a pack of gum, gum and save your own life but for the Democrats that run the city of Rochester. You can't do that, right? But for the Democrats that run the state of New York, you can't do that. But for the establishment, which is Democrats and Republicans, that runs the United States of America, you can't do that, right? And I said I would touch on this subject quickly, which, of course, you knew would be a lie, um, because, honestly, it's one of the things I'm most passionate about. But the, re the reason why I brought this up, which I can't even get to, is that I found an article, I came across an article uh, this past week where somebody articulated this um, with, with a study. Um, so I'm going to get that article to Austin next week. It's from the Epic Times. It's a newspaper that I subscribe to, Epic, E-P-O-C-H. Um, it's, a, it's a newspaper article that I get delivered to my inbox on my email that I pay for. And, um, and one of the articles that popped up this week was an article about this very topic, how the gun laws uh, most predominantly affect the, uh, the minorities in the inner cities. So I thought that was interesting because it agreed with something that I've been uh, saying for years. All right, we're closing in on 530, so I don't have much time left. But um, 
Yeah, this next topic's gonna kind of take a while to get to get into and get through. Um. So let me do this. I don't. I won't get into the weeds anymore. Um, but I'll get into. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I will show you some other pictures, um, of what I got into over the the course of the past week. So last um, last Thursday, of course, was St. Patrick's Day. I know that's you know a thousand years ago already. That's all in your rearview mirrors. But St. Patrick's Day did occur since my last podcast, and um, I made my way up to shameless plug for Shamrock Jacks, one of my favorite, if not. Actually, I, I shouldn't say it's one of my favorite. It is my favorite. Shamrock Jacks in Seabreeze and Arondequoit up near uh, Seabreeze Amusement Park up near Lake Ontario and, and Arondequoit Bay is my favorite restaurant. Hands down, it's my favorite restaurant. And I made my way up there on St. Patrick's Day. And it was awesome. If you recall, it was, I think, close to 70 degrees that day. It was a beautiful day. Lots of people were out. Big, huge tent. Big, huge party. And, of course, my favorite part of St. Patrick's Day, the bagpipes. Gives you chills, doesn't it? Nothing better than some bagpipes, right? And the best. Play play that one more time, Austin. I'll I'll kind of narrate it this time, but so it, as you can see, the the bagpipers are right there, right right in front of me. At one point, there was a woman with her bagpipes, and her her one pipe was literally inches from my left ear. So I'm standing there for a good five minutes, and I got this bagpipe um, shoved in my ear. So I like bagpipes, but that was pretty loud, uh, right in my ear. So that was kind of a cool little event there at Shamrock Jacks. They do that every year, of course, on St. Patty's Day, but um, obviously they they lost out uh, the last two years on that. So with all the COVID nonsense, and then uh, so then this weekend, um, I got the old fishing pole out. We have some pictures of that. Who's that guy? I don't see any weeds. Looking pretty rough there, aren't I, Austin? Oh man, you look like you. Uh should be on like deadliest catch <laughs> <laughs> you know here's the thing you can look the part and that and not actually play the part so i you know i think i look like a rugged outdoorsman there you think i caught anything uh you know no i couldn't catch, possible <laughs> i couldn't catch covid in a, nur- in a new york nursing home austin <laughs> but there i am That's nonetheless i think there's a couple more pictures right so that's around a quite bay so that's looking, uh, I'm standing in the uh, Bay Marine Park parking lot down there by Marge's, uh, the outlet bridge in between Arondequoit and Webster. So that's facing, um, that's facing southeast, okay? You're looking at the bluffs up there in Webster. There's my, there's my truck looking like I know what I'm doing. I got my Home Depot bucket. I got my tackle box. I got my cooler there. I, I think those all the ones you sent. I think you only sent me like yeah, four. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I got my fishing pole. Got my flannel coat on. A little brisk there. That was Sunday morning. And guess what? All the fish survived. Well, you know, are you are you a are you a catch and eat kind of guy or are you a catch and release 
Austin, I wasn't kidding. I'm a no catch kind of guy. Well, I just started I assume, fishing. Yeah, hypothetically, hypothetically, <laughs> if you if you <laughs> caught a fish, what would you do with it? <laughs> well, first off, I'd probably break a couple laws because you know, as I try to read up on on New York State rules and regs, right? You talk about the Second Amendment. I mean, you're not even allowed to eat in New York State, right? Without breaking the law, so you can't go catch a fish. Again, and and, and you know. I, you know, you, you always drag me into the weeds, so I got to drag myself back into the weeds. <laughs> Just like an 18-year-old black kid in the inner city can't defend himself with a firearm tonight on Joseph Avenue, that same black kid in the inner city can't grab his fishing pole and go catch a meal for himself in Irondequite. If he, if, he, if he drives out to Irondequite and throws a line in the water and tries to catch a meal, he's going to get popped by the DEC, and you'll get popped by the DEC too. But anyway, I digress, of course. So... Um, what am I? Uh, like I said, first off, I don't catch nothing. Um, and, and I did, I did say that grammatically incorrect on purpose. I don't catch nothing. And, but if I did catch something and assuming that it was in compliance with whatever the current, you know, rules are on catch and release trout season, this season, that season, you know, a live bait lures, the whole nine yards. Um, I would like to take something home. Right, I'd like to flay that thing up and have it eat it. Um, if I'm with my kids, uh, it depends on which one I'm with. It's probably catch and release. Although my daughter told me this weekend that that was that was no good either. Um, she said that people are bad that do that because it, it's kind of evil to go out and just uh, try to stab a hook into a into a fish um, and hurt it just to send it back. She probably made a pretty good point there, huh, Austin? Nah, fish don't have feelings. It's fine. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I wish I would have known that. <laughs> um, say, parenting lesson 101 from yeah, Austin. Yeah. Fish don't have feelings. All right. Exactly. I love it. We're going to we'll learn that from uh, Nirvana. <laughs> we'll have to make a podcast out of that. So, no, I, I caught nothing. The fish all survived. That's what I like to tell my children um, when I come home. And I don't do a lot of fishing, and I just started it. Um, that fishing pole there in the picture I bought about a year ago. You know, of course, like any you know, red-blooded American, you've always fished a couple times in the course of your life. You know, I was in scouts, so I fished in scouts, and my son was in scouts, so I, I fished a couple times uh, in scouts, but but I'm, I'm, I'm no fisherman by, by any stretch of any Webster's definition, uh, since we're, we're in the business of getting Webster's definitions on today's show. Um, you're definitely not going to find my picture uh, next to fisherman, and just to prove it, Austin's going to look it up. Yep, my picture's not there, is it, Austin? Nope, no picture. Yeah. A, a What's the definition of a fisherman? A person who catches fish. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. See, oh, so that can't be you. Austin just proved by negative implication, I think, um, or by some sort of logical conclusion that uh, Chad Hummel on the God Freedom podcast is not a fisherman. All right. So with that said, um, for dinner tonight, I'll probably have to go to Wegmans. Um, that's what I do. I go to Wegmans. Catch my fish at Wegmans, as they say. All right. Well, I thank everybody for joining me here on the God Freedom Podcast. Thank you to Austin from Rock Vox Productions for producing this podcast. Great job as always. And thank you for following us. Thank you for following the We The People Podcast Network. Go to our Facebook page, We The People Podcast Network on Facebook and become a member. You can also find our podcasts on uh, YouTube 
and I don't know where else are they? Spreaker, Spotify. What are the what are the podcasts? Now you can just go to we the people podcast network dot com and you know find out all the places we're at. There you go. Perfect. Thank you for that plug. Yeah. Tomorrow, as I mentioned, um, I also co-host, as many of you know, I co-host the uh, Kimberly's Revolution podcast with Kimberly Ray, and uh, that's always a great time. Myself, just Tom, and Kimberly Austin, uh, of course, as well, produces that show for us. And uh, so I look forward to you joining us tomorrow there. And um, until then, thank you and buy more ammo. Go America. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.